Today's Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11, which can be found on page 1120 of your Black Bibles. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Thanks, Georgie. Good morning, everyone. My name's Carl. I'm the pastor here. It's lovely to see you here with us today. If you're visiting, a special welcome to you. It's great to have you with us. Where? Working our way through the book of Isaiah, and as you've heard a number of times this morning already, we come today to Isaiah chapter 40. If you have ever read the Bible before, Isaiah 40 is probably one of those chapters in the Bible that's a favourite of yours. I'd encourage you to go home today and read it. We've just read the first 11 verses of the chapter today. There's, There's more in there, great things that it says about what our God is like. It's a great chapter about the comfort that God brings to his people. Uh, Today I'm just going to talk for a shorter time than I normally would and then we're going to have five people lined up along the front here and they're going to share a little about how God has brought comfort to their lives so you can see how this passage kind of works itself out in different people's lives. But if we're to fully understand Isaiah chapter 40... We need to understand the history of what's going on here. We got a little bit of that in our kids' talk this morning from Matt, but I want to spend a few minutes with you just helping you to understand the history, what's going on in this passage. And so on the screen behind me, if Annika brings it up, I have a photo that you may have seen before. It's of the last Tasmanian tiger. I understand that thousands of years ago, before they were called Tasmanian tigers, these animals were native to the whole of Australia and right up into Papua New Guinea as well. But by the time Europeans arrived in Australia, Tasmanian tigers were limited just to Tasmania. They were nocturnal animals. Apparently they were quite shy, but like many Australians that have gone before and after them, they also loved the taste of lamb. And that earned them a problem in Tasmania. The Van Diemen's Land Company, as it was called, put a bounty on the heads of these Tasmanian tigers to try and stop them killing farmers' sheep. 
and by the 1930s, that combined with disease, these animals had all but died out. And this one, his name is Benjamin, he's the last one, they think, ever to have lived. I want you to be thinking about Tasmanian tigers for a moment because I want this idea of extinction to be in your mind. See, as we read Isaiah 40, we need to remember that the nation of Israel had essentially become extinct. That's a big jump, isn't it, from where we were last week at the end of chapter uh, 38 and 39. If you remember last week, we uh, looked at three great stories that were associated with King Hezekiah. We saw three stories about how Hezekiah trusted in God. And in the face of the Assyrian opposition, we saw God deliver Hezekiah time and time again and save this city, Jerusalem. And so last week we saw that despite being surrounded by enemies, God saved Jerusalem. But last week wasn't the end of the story. If we fast forward only about a hundred years in time, now into the 6th century BC, Jerusalem is utterly destroyed. Israel's heart had again drifted away from God and and the, the kings after Hezekiah, they did much evil. And so God sent an agent of judgment, not the Assyrians this time, but Babylon to bring judgment upon Judah. And in a sense, the nation of Judah ceased to exist. Let me read to you some verses that kind of describe this. It's from uh, 2 Kings, chapter 25. You don't have to look it up, but you can if you want. I'm just going to read from verse 8. It says this, it says, On the seventh day of the fifth month, in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted the king of Babylon. So here we have Jerusalem finally fallen. God's city has been ruined. Now, of course, for that to have happened, for the temple to have been burnt down and for God's city to be destroyed, God himself must no longer be there. He's left He's left his temple. We don't read about this in Isaiah, but you can read about it in the book of Ezekiel. The glory of the Lord has departed from the temple. He's left Jerusalem. He's no longer there. And the city falls to the Babylonians. And so between the end of chapter 39 and the the start of chapter 40, much has happened in Israel. Much has happened in Jerusalem. Now we read a, a little bit of a foretaste of this at the end of chapter 39 in Isaiah, where Hezekiah shows those Babylonian envoys, the riches of the city. But now, as we start reading chapter 40 of Isaiah, we need to remember that Jerusalem as a city is no longer, and the people 
who make up God's people, they are now in Babylon. They are in exile. And it's into this context that the story of chapter 40 speaks into. God no longer dwells with his people. He's gone. They've been carted off to Babylon. They're in exile. There they are working hard. They're in hard labor. They're deserted. They're isolated. They've been beaten in every way. You know, sometimes we speak of people's lives. We think of them hitting rock bottom when they get to that point where just nothing else can possibly go wrong. Well, here is Israel at rock bottom. They can fall no further. But chapter 40, it's actually a chapter of good news. Here's the big idea of chapter 40. If you just hear one thing from me today, I'd love you to hear this. God has a solution, a solution to the rebellion of Israel. And it's a solution that's all about forgiveness. He's not going to leave them forever. He'll come back. He'll return as a mighty king. And as their mighty king, God will tend for his people like a shepherd cares for his sheep. Okay, so that's the background. Let's just have a look at at these verses. They're on page 1120, Isaiah chapter 40. I'd love you just to follow along as we work our way just quickly this morning through some of these verses. Let me read the first two to you. It says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So can you see how these words are just words of pure delight? Comfort is what they need. We saw that so well with Georgia sitting up here with paper being thrown at her, didn't we? These are words of hope, words of joy. They're gentle and tender words. They're intended to be a balm for a broken people, sitting there in exile, struggling. Look how God, look how they're described. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. If you're in exile, if God has deserted you, how great to hear that he still calls you his people being reminded that he hasn't completely left them in a way. What a delight. But God's not just identifying with these people in exile, is he? He's also pronouncing forgiveness. Her hard service has been completed, it says. Her sins have been paid for. From the Lord's hand, she has received double for all her sins. Bit of a confusing saying that, a bit of a confusing phrase, isn't it? Receiving double for all your sins. I wonder what you think that might mean. Do they uh, do something and then require kind of a double payment for it? Well, commentators uh, kind of say, no, that's not the case. They say this word is um, a word that we are kind of familiar with, just not put this way normally. And the best way for me to illustrate it is to use a piece of paper. The commentators say, if we fold a piece of paper like this, we describe it as being folded double, don't we? And the thing about when you fold something double is that one side matches the other, exactly. 
And so what the, what the uh, passage in Isaiah here is saying is that one side we have the sin of Israel and the other side we have the forgiveness and they completely match like a double. Her sins have been paid for. She has received a double payment. In other words, the payment matches exactly the sin of the nation. And I want you to see also that it comes from the Lord's hand. Because of that, they might be rescued and they might be saved. What do you think that payment is that is made towards the generations of rebellious behaviour that Israel has exhibited towards God? It doesn't say this in Isaiah, but they're only in captivity for 70 years. It's not all that long, really. Is that sufficient punishment, being in captivity for 70 years against generations and generations' rebellion towards God? Is that what the double payment, the payment that matches exactly the sin, looks like? wonder what you think. Isaiah doesn't flesh it out here, but he does go on in this book to speak of a servant who suffers on behalf of Israel. A servant, he says, and we'll see this in the weeks to come, who was pierced for our transgressions, a servant who was crushed for our iniquities, a servant who was punished so that they could know peace. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear who this servant is, who this servant is who will bring comfort and consolation to Israel. Remember, that's what this passage is about, comfort and consolation. I'd love you to come with me to Luke's Gospel, to chapter 2 of Luke, and I want to look at verse 25 with you. If you're flicking in your black Bibles, it's on page 1,594. It's early on in Luke's Gospel, the time where Jesus is still a baby. Let me read from Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was with him. He was waiting, it says, for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. Just what we had talked about in chapter 40 of Isaiah. Let me read on in verse 26. It says, It had been revealed to him, that Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon lived some 400 years or so after the exile, after the people were sent to Babylon. And he there, 400 years later, he's still in a sense waiting for the comfort of Israel, waiting for the consolation. And Simeon recognises in Jesus the one who will bring that comfort, the one who will save his people from the sins. He's that suffering servant who will make the double payment 
and so save his people. But that's not all this passage has to say. It's also saying, comfort, comfort my people because your God, the true King, is coming back. And I think that's the message of verses 3 to 5 of Isaiah chapter 40. Let me read these verses to you. It says, a voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Why do you prepare a way for the Lord? Why? Well, because he's coming back. Remember, he had departed from the temple, he departed from the people, he had left them, but here we see Isaiah announcing or proclaiming God is coming back. And Isaiah is essentially saying, get ready for him. He's coming. Make a straight path for him so that he can process in on it. It's kind of the 8th century equivalent, I think, of saying, roll out the red carpet. You know, if, if we heard today that the Queen was coming to visit us, we might roll a red carpet out through the parking lot there. And we'd probably also go beforehand and we'd fill in the potholes and so on. We'd make a level and straight path for her to process in on. That's what Isaiah is saying here. God, your king, is coming back. Roll out the red carpet for him. Get ready for him. Your king is returning. God is coming back. Now, as Georgie read these words to us before, did they sound familiar to you? Do you have you been wondering, where have I heard these words before? If you're familiar with them, it's probably because you've heard them spoken in the New Testament uh, by John the Baptist as he prepares the way for Jesus to come. If you've still got your Bibles open, um, you probably, hopefully you remember where Luke is. I'd love you to go back to Luke chapter 3 this time page 1,595. And I want you to see here that this passage is picked up and spoken by John the Baptist. It says in verse 4 of uh, Luke chapter 3, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. See, John, John's job was to get the people ready for Jesus to come. And here he's using this passage from Isaiah to say to the people, get ready, your king is about to arrive. God is coming back amongst you. I think this is so wonderful. I'm so excited about this because I think it helps us to see the big picture of the Bible that God has not abandoned his people. He's sent Jesus. He's come himself to be with us. The servant that will pay that equal price for our sin. And that's what the comfort of Isaiah 40 is about. 
But the last thing I want us to see from these first 11 verses of chapter 40 of Isaiah is just the very active and tender work of our God in the world. And I think we see that in verses 10 to 11 of this passage in Isaiah 40, where it says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. So I think here are some words of comfort for us in our present time. Our God is a God who looks after his flock like a shepherd. He carries us close to his heart. He treasures us. If you go on to read the rest of this chapter, you'll see, again, a wonderful description of the power and the size and the majesty of our God. Things that we've seen a number of times already in the book of Isaiah. Even when it feels like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders, we can know we have an active God, a powerful God, and a God who cares for us tenderly, like a shepherd looking after his sheep. And not only that, we need to remember that from his hand, he has made for us the double sin payment. It's his work. He's done it. He's forgiven us. He holds us closely. He holds us tenderly. It's because of that that he's worth worshipping as a king, isn't he? It's worth us rolling out the red carpet for him to make a way for him to walk through our lives as we follow after him, the king who we worship. Let me pray for us and then we're going to hear from our panel. We're going to sing first, sorry. Father Almighty, we know you as a God who is high and lifted up, a God who is exalted, a God who is holy, holy, holy. And yet, Father, we thank you for the comfort that you provide. We thank you that you have a promise of the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for your tender love and care for us as your people. And Father, we pray that you would help us to respond to you in the right way, to see you as a king worth worshipping and worth praising. Amen.